Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, everybody. Um, We're going to take a... Short break from our series in Colossians this week to welcome a guest preacher, uh, Yuta Kimura. From uh, He's the pastor of Double O Cross Church in Tokyo. He'll be opening the word of God to us today. And uh, not only is he the pastor of the church, he's also the director of training for City to City Japan. And he's the primary instructor for our GTO cohorts this year. So Yuta is a lot of things. Uh, but in addition to that, I want to tell you something else that, uh, about Yuta and his family. Uh, not only, for one, him and his wife, Patricia, have been a great encouragement to us in the GTO cohorts. And they've been personally a, a great encouragement and inspiration for Melissa and I as we plan to church plant next year. Um, but besides that, for your benefit as a hearer, because uh, we, John Ransom and I, we know Duta really well, but a lot of you probably don't know Duta. And, um, you know, we invited him to come and guest speak. And just to give you a little bit of background so you know who's speaking to you, um, Duta and his wife, and he'll, I won't steal his sermon here and I won't uh, say, say it all, so he'll share some more with you in the sermon. But they've been through some experiences in the church uh, that maybe some of you have experienced as well. Uh, they've experienced pain, uh, rejection, disillusionment on a pretty great level uh, to the extent that uh, a lot of people would have, you know, could have given up on the church, called it, called it quits. Um, but instead of shifting from the hope of the gospel, instead of calling it quits on the church, 
instead, they did the hard work of rediscovering their identity in Jesus. And that's something that they did and still do. And so I say that to you to benefit you, the hearer, that uh, who's preaching to you today is someone uh, and his family has practiced this sermon. Uh, we've heard their story. We know them. And um, so they've pre- he's practiced this sermon that he'll preach to you today. I'm going to have you to come up, and um, I'm going to stop cutting into his sermon time. I know that I'm not pitching this week, um, but uh, I'd like to pray for him and his family before we get started. So if you'll please join me, I'm going to pray for them. Father God, thank you for the Kimuras. Thank you uh, that... Uh, for the things that you've not only gifted them with, but uh, the, the things that you've redeemed in their lives, uh, um, that you have redeemed for your glory. Uh, you've redeemed from the possibility of being uh, uh, lost or wasted or um, used for, for worldly gain. You've, you've redeemed it for your glory. Uh, you've redeemed them for your glory. And I thank you that, uh, they're, uh, that they're with us, that the Utah is here preaching to us today. Um, we give you the credit for that and the praise, um, uh, that you're the reason why he's here, Jesus. And we pray for your blessing over their family. They've been an incredible blessing to us, uh, how you've worked through them to encourage us and to, um, to encourage the, the pastors and the church planter candidates in the cohorts. Thank you. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Morning, everyone. Uh, John, thank you for your introduction, kind introduction and prayer. Um, First, I want to thank you, Pillar Church, for your support and prayer uh, for GTO and what's also going on in Japan. We are really blessed through... Uh, your support, actually. Many pastors, I think, uh, we are able to connect through City to City and also GTO Network and introduce gospel-centered approach to ministry, which I can see in this church. So I'm really excited to uh, share the Word of God with you. Uh, The reason that I chose this um, text, uh, before going into that, maybe just a little bit introduce myself. Uh, So I planted a church, a church called Double Cross Church in Kitsujoji in Tokyo. Uh, how many of you know Kichijoji? Have you been there? No? You should go there because it's the number one popular town in Tokyo that everybody wants to live there. There's a subculture, restaurant, uh, music town, it's a second-hand shop and all these things. So if you love these things, you must visit. And if you like uh, anime, like uh, Ghibli movies, does anyone know? There's a museum there. Yeah, so that's it. I caught your attention. So anyway, you can move there and come to our church also. No, I'm joking. So um, my wife is from Switzerland. Uh, her name is Patrizia. Uh, she just flew yesterday to uh, Switzerland to visit her family. So I'm alone here. Um, anyway, yeah, I met her in England. And uh, probably you saw me and my wife sitting around there. Uh, every month we come uh, back to Okinawa uh, for the uh, cohort. So maybe you saw me. Anyway, um, the reason that I share, uh, chose this uh, scripture today, the text today, is that, is that it's, it is actually really connected with the Colossian series that you're doing, especially uh, with the chapter 3, which you're going to probably look at with uh, uh, Pastor John. Uh, if you look through Colossians 3, there's already a lot of wording, for example, uh, above and earth. 
You know, it's a heaven and earth in uh, Genesis concept. Hidden, you just saw uh, Eve hidden, Adam and Eve hidden, uh, hiding themselves uh, behind a bush and also uh, the covering. There's a wording like a knowledge. Uh, new self, old self, it's actually Greek translation is the old man and new man talks about basically uh, uh, old Adam and new Adam. So there's a lot of allusion going on. And uh, Paul does this intentionally, I, I guess, uh, to bring back the roots, you know, which you've been the main theme, which, which has been the main theme for you. So I think through studying or learning through this text, Genesis chapter 3, we'll probably understand our main problem, not just with our identity, but with a lot of things in our life. But what's your impression of your, uh, as you read this scripture? First thing that came to my mind is just like, okay, this is how uh, clothing, the wearing clothing started, or fashion started, right? So maybe you think, okay, especially guys, this is not for me. <laughs> I, I don't care about fashion. You know, but this is more than that. This is really under the theme of covering. We cover ourselves, not just only with the clothes, but with a lot of other images, which is, again, another uh, theme that's going on in this thing. So, we're going to talk about uh, identity, all these things, but we're going to really dig into knowing ourselves, why we are geared in certain things, how, how, why do we react in certain ways in our life because of our problem. So three things I want to touch, three points. First, uh, we're going to go back to our original identity that's supposed to be, the original um, good identity that God gave us. Second, we're going to look at the more problem, the endless search or quest for our lost identity. And third one, we're going to look at how can we be restored in Christ. All right, so first point. So Genesis chapter 1 to chapter, one to chapter 3, it's, it's all the basics there. Again, God introduces uh, humankind here in chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, eight, for example, saying, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and every creature. Already we can see that we are already, originally we are given the purpose to live. We didn't have to actually ask, Why am I here on earth? Right? That even question is just... Not there. Right there, Adam and Eve born, they knew what to do on earth. They knew who they are. They had full confidence, and they didn't even have to ask, who am I? But already we can see the problem. We have a problem with all these, these questions. What do I do after the college? Right? Why am I Japanese? Why am I American? Why was I born in this particular place? I mean, those questions are good. But already, those things uh, point out that we are not as we are supposed to be. Because we are, I think, uh, the word here in chapter 2, verse 15, God gave them a task to do what? To work and keep the environment, the Eden. That word work is actually in English, a different translation uh, translated as a cultivate, which is the original word for culture. We are supposed to create a culture. We are supposed to create a society so that every human being can flourish, 
work together in unity and create the infra infrastructure that works well. But you know, none of these things are functioning properly. So we didn't have to worry about the purpose and identity. Uh, we are created in the image of God. Even in chapter 3, he already introduced. I found it very interesting. A serpent said, hey, you will look like God. Right? After he ate. But don't they already, didn't they already look like God? Because they are created in the image of God. They already look like God. But what does that mean to look like God? Um, recently... Uh, yeah, you have got answer. That's great. Um, recently, my daughter, uh, uh, my daughter, uh, I have two daughters, 15 and 18. Uh, sorry, 16 and 18. Uh, I'll be in trouble if my wife is watching this <laughs> <laughs> sermon. Anyway, so uh, they used to really not like that someone comes to them and, hey, you look like your dad or something. They always wanted to be look like their mother, which I, I think is a wonderful thing because my wife is beautiful. But recently... Um, younger daughter, her boyfriend came to her and said, hey, you actually really look like your dad. And she was really happy about it. So when I heard that, I was really happy about it because I thought they don't like how I look and all these things, you know. But already these things, you know, if you, you hear that you look like somebody you respect and you find someone beautiful, then you, it encourages you, right? It gives you confidence. Imagine ladies, especially, uh, someone tells you that you look like a Gal Gadot. Wow. Wonder Woman. Strong, beautiful, powerful, right? Capable. It gives you kind of, wow, yes. It's nice, right? For guys, I don't know. Um, Thor, Tony Starks, or Captain America. It's it, uh, maybe not the tight pants, but... <laughs> You know, uh, to me, for me, it used to be, you know, when I was a teenager, it's like a Dragon Ball Z, Son Goku, that kind of thing. I wanted to become like that. So we all have this kind of problem with our images, don't we? We always want to be somebody that we are not. But here says, we look like God. We took an image of God, the one who is the most beautiful, the most powerful being in the whole universe and will look like him. Does that give you confidence more than looking like a Gal Gadot or Thor or whatever? But where did it go, that kind of confidence and sense of security that I know who I am because my father, I look like my father in heaven. We lost that, sadly. Another uh, thing that we can see here is a naked and unashamed. What does that really mean? My message is not here to encourage you to walk around naked. That's not the point here. I don't encourage that. But what does that mean to be completely naked and unashamed? It means we can be completely honest, completely uh, be fully known, but yet accepted and loved and have confidence. It's not something that we long for. Don't we long for a partner that knows you inside out? Nothing is hidden, but accepts you and loves you no matter what. How, no matter how broken you are. No matter what kind of mistake you made. You long for a person, a friend even, to love you like that. But that's not our reality. We constantly fear that if someone knows me deep down, 
then probably they will reject me. Therefore, we have to hide. We have to cover up. We, we even have to control what other people think of me. That's our problem. But you see how, what kind of identity we sh should have. If we go back to our original identity, but story goes on, it breaks, it breaks down, we lose that sense of confidence, identity, and security. But here, I think first, I think I want you to picture that and aim for that kind of identity because in Christ, we can have that kind of identity. But in order to understand what's wrong with us, I think it's important. It's like, a, you know, you need to know how the healthy state is to understand what's really wrong with you, right? We, we need to know where we should go back to. Otherwise, we don't know what to fix in our life. So that's why in the first point, I think it's very important to understand what we should become in Christ. So let's look at the second point. What happened then? What really happened? What did it really go wrong in our life? Okay, back to chapter 3. Uh, Satan comes first and says this. Did God really say that you cannot eat from any tree? Here, the word any, he uses is quite interesting because when you go back to chapter 2, that's not the word God used and told uh, uh, Adam and Eve. He said, you can eat from every tree, but not this one. Okay, I know it's a very slight difference, but this is very important. What is Satan trying to, trying to do is to change the perspective of us. So uh, Sinclair, Sinclair Ferguson, he is a Scottish pastor, um, uh, described the, what happened with uh, here in, in uh, using this uh, uh, father and son illustration. So I want you to imagine um, this, uh, in the Christmas time, a father takes a little boy, maybe five, six years old boy, to Toys R Us let's say. And, you know, it's a Christmas time, and so, he, of course, what his boy's thinking is, oh, maybe I'm going to get something, right? I'm going to get some wonderful toys. So, so father says, as soon as they arrive, father says, all right, go ahead. With a big smile, boy go around every shelf. And at first, he brings back this new Lego, uh, Lego design or whatever. Father, look, daddy, look, isn't this wonderful? And father says, yeah. Then he comes back with, a, uh, I don't know, the, <laughs> now there's a new toy. I don't know, PlayStation 5. Uh, the Marvel figure or whatever. He comes back and then he goes, he spent one to two hours going around everything, every toy that possibly he can buy. Right? So he's thinking, oh, anything, everything accessible. But then in the end, after two hours, father said, now you know that everything that is in store, everything is in store, in the Christmas time, but I want you to know, I want, I want you to know that you're not gonna have any of these things. Let's go home. Imagine if you are a little boy, would you trust your father again? I don't think so. You probably will lose trust that my, uh, uh, you know, towards my, fa uh, my father, or maybe you will try to do anything to get that toy that you want. Either way, or maybe both. But Sinclair Ferguson says that this is kind of thing what happened. 
The evil had no problem with trusting God. But Satan comes and changes the image of the Father and, and put the thinking or idea that maybe God is not trustworthy. Maybe we cannot trust God. Maybe if I entrust all my life to my God, to my Father, I would not be happy. Isn't this our problem? We believe in God, His existence, but we have a hard time trusting God in every area of our life. Right? When things go wrong, when we cannot have what we want to have, when we are single, if we are struggling finding a partner, we doubt God. God, what's going on? You can imagine this problem arising in Eve's heart. Here's another description here, uh, verse 6. It's again interesting. Eve, in chapter 2, Eve was seeing all this tree and fruit, and it was pleasing, it was good to, good to her eyes to eat, okay, for food. There was no problem with that. But here, verse 6, this particular fruit of, uh, no, um, fruit of knowledge of good and evil, was translating this way in Hebrew it says lust to the eyes instead of looked good to her eyes. This lust basically uh, literally means intensely desired. Okay, so until now it was a good thing, very good thing, and was no problem we could control, but now it became intensely desirable that you had to have it. In the Bible, this concept is picked by Paul, Apostle Paul, and he uses the word called epithumia, which is over-desire or evil desire. It's his favorite word to describe the idolatry. Idolatry is something that you're making good things into ultimate thing. So because Eve's image of the father, the distrust or, or unbelief, all this came in, now she needed to have something else other than God to make her self-satisfied. Not the feeling only, but whole identity itself. And I, I think we know this ourselves. We struggle with our over-desire, isn't it? Because we don't trust God, we think, if we have a right job, I'll be happy. Right? If I have a, a partner that loves me so much, then I'll be happy. If I become a, a good pastor, successful pastor, then I'll be finally happy and satisfied. No, we won't. Because here, in a perfect environment, or paradise they were in, right? They had a perfect job. You could talk to God anytime, communicate with God anytime. You had a question, you can ask God. They had a perfect diet system. They didn't have to ask what to eat, right? Perfect environment, but still they have managed to have a problem. Why? Of course, there was because there was Satan, and maybe you may ask, hey, why did God put Satan in there? It's a whole another uh, sermon there. But important thing is that we cannot be naive about our enemy. And also, we cannot think that if we have all this other external factor fixed, having enough money, uh, having enough uh, education, perfect society, a good president, good prime minister, then my life will be okay. No, we won't. 
because our heart is desperately problem. So that's what we have to realize this morning. That yes, there's a lot of temptation, broken world, it affects us, but our heart is the one is reacting because of our unbelief over desire. So uh, here's another thing that I found interesting. You know, it says that your eyes are opened. But is that a good thing? <laughs> your eyes are opened. But what does that mean? Why this uh, having an, uh, the fruit of the, uh, knowledge of good and evil, eating, knowing the good and evil is so bad? This is not really a matter of knowing just the good and evil, but deciding ourselves what is good and bad for us. So Romans actually chapter 1 describes, uh, uh, well, I think, um, Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to 23 says, For we can be known about God is, is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived since, ever since the creation of the world. And the things that we uh, have, be, have been made so that so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Here the word futile in their thinking is actually the Greek word is dialogimos, means the word for logic. So their logic, the normal thinking, I think logic is good, but logic completely changed. Their concept of what is good for me, what is bad for me, completely got destroyed and then become completely different. So they opened their eyes to deciding what's right for me. Right? So that's basically connected with our desires. We think, I think this is good for me, like having this job. But actually, yeah, job is a good thing, but because I want it so bad, it's no longer good for me. Right? That's why we end up working too hard. Because we believe this is a savior. This saves me. This gives me a good feeling of what? Good enough. Because now we feel not good enough. We are ashamed. And every culture, I think, has this problem of concept of good enough. In America, probably, uh, what's the concept of good, being good enough? Independent? Successful? Capable? Right? In Japan, it's different because it's a, we call it reactive culture, which means you react to the standards of a, a society. So we have to fit in. In Instagram, it's very clear. Right? First thing in the morning, you put the Instagram and you, say, you, you put, put a picture, I just woke up. No, with a full makeup on and you say, you just woke up. No, it's not true. You've been waking already one hour ago, working on your, how you look. And just woke up. No. This is what I eat every day. No, you don't. You just ate a Burger King yesterday. <laughs> we always have to cover up in that way. Anything, we use anything to cover up. Political position, whether you are vaccinated or not vaccinated. You have this, this uh, attitude towards your life. Because of our logic, it's no longer the same. It's broken. So problem is, like Proverbs 3.7 says, we became just wise in our own eyes. And we think we are clever, but we are actually fools. Out of this, now, there's a 
two problems, two major emotional problems I can see here. Um, again, verse 7 to uh, 13 describes how their relationship started to change. Not just so their image of God changed, then their image of themselves changed, identity changed, then how they look to each other changed. Now suddenly became a na uh, uh, naked has became, nakedness became a problem. And I found it very interesting because God asks, where are you? Why did you hide, right? And they say, well, because I'm naked. Duh, you've been always naked. <laughs> so right, God's saying, who told you? Who gave that perspective? Who gave that logic that nakedness is not good? Being honest is not good. Being transparent is not good. Scary. So first thing, what they did was hide. Cover themselves up. Hide behind a bush. Hide from each other, but also even they have to hide themselves from their own eyes. I see there the emotional problem they call fear. Fear. Everything we do often is out of fear. Another problem here is blame shifting, which means pride. I am actually better than that person. I'm not that bad. Right? That's why Eve did it when he was confronted. Says, well, it's serpent. Right? Then Adam, uh, well, it's women. Then what? Eventually, it's God. Well, you put her in my life. Right? Blame shifting, always comparing I'm better than someone. Again, this is what we do. When we feel beautiful, we say, well, I'm better, I'm better looking. At least I'm better looking than that person working on the down the street. Maybe some of us don't feel pretty, but you say, well, I'm not that pretty, but I'm maybe more clever. I went to that university. Right? Maybe I don't, I don't have enough education or I don't feel pretty, but I'm married, you know. Or maybe you say, well, someone else is married, pretty, and clever. Then I say, well, at least I'm Christian. Anything we use to make ourselves feel good. So fear and pride. The Jonathan Edwards, uh, they go deeper with this concept. Probably you heard about this concept called a common virtue and true virtue. He says, if you are not truly Christian, then we all up end up doing a common virtue, using a common virtue system that works with a fear and a pride. For example, when you try not to lie, having a, a virtue of not lying, having a moral right, we use fear and pride. For example, fear-based virtue like, uh, works like this uh, with, in terms of lying. I'm not going to lie because if I get discovered, if someone finds it out, I'm in trouble. Right? It's fear. Therefore, I'm not going to lie. Or you, we use pride, saying, I'm actually better than that people who lie. Therefore, I'm not a liar. Okay? So using fear and pride, even doing good things. Then we also use fear and pride when we lie. If I don't lie right now, I'm not going to get promotion. Right? It's fear. Fear of losing promotion or promotion. And at the exactly same thing, we use often pride, right? By lying, I can get the promotion so that I can be better than my colleague. 
I can be better. Do we see this in our own life? I can see very much. My, my problem with my own life, I look back, is being loved and accepted by people. When I look back at my childhood, I brought up in a, uh, the, the single mother, uh, the single parent family. My father used to, every time I come home, uh, he had a, I mean, he had a problem with a gambling problem. So every time he lost money, he was always, uh, basically every day he was ba in bad mood. So as soon as I came home, he used to basically smack me without no reason. So from there, I developed this sense of uh, kind of attitude that I need to please so that they become good mood with me, good, you know, not with only with my father, but with anyone. I wanted to please them so that they will be okay with me. They will not be angry or cross with me. And a state like that. The reason that, for example, I started smoke when I was a teenager, or peer pressure, because my friend was smoking, so in order to get into the gang, I started smoking. In fact, that's the 90% of the reason that we start smoking, statistically, peer pressure. So when I became Christian, I could quit smoking. Uh, one day, my, one of my best friends came to me and took my cigarette and threw it. And he said, you're not going to smoke from this day on. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually, that happened. I never smoked from that day on. And you can say, yes, God helped me. And I got used to that. But if I really be honest, what was going on in my heart? It was basically another peer pressure that I wanted to be accepted by a Christian people so that I appear good. Right? And of course, that's a no bad thing. God uses these things to change us slowly, but my heart wasn't catching up. My heart wasn't transformed. And I went on doing the same thing. I became a pastor, went to seminary. If I preach well, I get praised. If I grow a church, I get praised. I was, I, uh, 10 years ago, I was involved in another church, church plant, that started 20 years ago almost. And that church started 30 people. And then by the time uh, I was leaving that church, it became 1,500 people. In Tokyo, it's a very, very fast-growing, big church. It became my pride. I thought, oh, I'm better than other pastors in, in Japan. Every time I make people laugh or cry, I thought, oh, I'm doing well. I'm a, as a preacher. Such a pride. But then something happened that I, I was pushed out from that environment instantly, just within one month. And you know what I heard from the senior pastor? When I left, the last word from a senior pastor, he said, you failed to be my spiritual son. That was shocking because that word resonated with me. Almost like a flashback of my memories looking back my life. I realized this, is, this has been what I've been doing all my life. Not just with my senior pastor, but every relationship. This was my motivation. So that they will love me, accept me. But that was the beginning of my journey to rediscover the gospel. I had to face my a false identity. Even as a Christian, 
I wouldn't say I was not Christian, but I probably didn't understand the gospel properly. And God started work on me saying, do you see your own problem? Why do you, do you know why you get angry, frustrated? Because you are looking for what you want ultimately from in wrong places other than me. So what is the hope in this? I find it's very interesting because we fear so much to be exposed. And at the same time, we cannot lose our pride. So anyone try to take that pride away, we react really badly. Right? I think some of us, we know that, what that means. We have an anger issue, depression issue, despair issue. Because where every time these things that we rely on ultimately is threatened, we react. That reflected in our relationships. Not only that, family, society, even in the church. And I think our society went so far, they're so afraid of God that they try to eliminate the existence of God because they can't stand it. They cannot stand in front of God and show themselves. And there's a scripture in Luke says, in the end of the world, they face God and they cry out to the mountain, please fall on us, cover us. Why? Because they just cannot be exposed truly who they are deep down. That's our fear. That's our society, how our culture works. So, what's a, how does the story go on? I mean, we know there's a hope. We know there's a solution. But how does that really work? And if we know the, about the solution, why then we do we still struggle? So last point is this. Restoring our identity. So, I can put it this way. All the coverings that we do, all the things that we put on to feel ourselves good enough is our own self-righteousness. Right? Trying to create our own value. Own self-worth. But God says this in Isaiah 64. says, you are all good deeds just like a filthy rags, polluted garment, Bible says. So every time we use fig leaves, symbolically speaking, God says, no, that's not good enough. You know that's not going to cover your shame. You know it. So what is our solution? Do we take it off? <laughs> no. We end up covering with other things. Right? From job, from marriage, from marriage to what? Children. If children loves me, then I'm okay. If I have a good mom, I raise my children, then I'm okay. If I have a good job, then I'm okay. Endless. So, how does God approach and solve our problem? That's the last point. So, first thing that God does is, I found it very interesting, he asks questions. Again, it's, isn't it amazing? They completely lied, disobeyed God. They're blame shifting on all these things, and God still comes with a gentle question. Where are you? Where are you? Who told you? What have you done? What is God doing here? I think he's counseling us. 
counseling Adam and Eve. And he does this with many other people. Like after that, right after that, he did with Cain. Where's your brother? He just killed a person. God didn't right away condemn him. He said, where's your brother? What happened? He did it with Peter. Jesus, do you remember he betrayed three times in front of fire? But then later on in John 21, he reappeared. And what does he do? On the shore, he put the fire. Breakfast by fire. That reminds of Peter or something. And then he asks question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What is he doing? He's trying to remind him of what happened and trying to dig deeper why that happened, why he betrayed. He does this also with a, a Paul. He pulled, uh, the Paul just killed a Stephen, a faithful servant, but he said, why are you persecuting me? And graciously, he, he makes a Paul blind for three days. Why? Because I think it's the first time he was, had to rely on his companion. He didn't, didn't even have a strength to do anything for three days. What is this? A time to reflect. What's the same? I think for me, what happened in, in a former church was a time of reflection for one year. I had to face my reality. It was painful. Has that happened to you? Or every time that happens, do you... Did you try to ignore that, the grace of God in your life? If that happens next time, I think it's God's grace. It's like a, a doctor opening up your heart and pointing out, here's your cancer in your heart. Now let's name it. Because unless we name the sickness, we don't know how to deal with it. So that's the first thing. Second thing is... We need to uh, not just point out, name it. We just uh, we need to start, yes, taking it off, but more not just uh, um, what it is, but how it functions, dismantling that mechanism. Um, So on the theme of covering in Genesis, as you go on, there's another story that to do with a covering problem. Do you know what story that is? Jacob, right? His problem was blessing. The blessing at that time meant all his life promised. Future job, inheritance, even the identity as a son, as an older son. He wanted that so bad. So what did he do? He covered himself to become like an older son so so that he can get this. But all his life, after that, he tried to use his marriage to be accepted after that, lots of things. He tried many times in the end of his life. He said, what? Unless you bless me, Lord, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let you go. He found the final blessing in God. Right? So we need to sometimes look at our whole life. and Like, a, like a, I was, how to do it? I had to look at my childhood problem. Where did it start? How does it appear in your moments of your life? Do you know it? And lastly, replace with a new clothes. We know this, how a story ends. In the verse 21, chapter 3, verse 21, God comes with another solution, a leather jacket. I find also I like this point because I personally like a leather jacket. I know in Okinawa you cannot wear a leather jacket. In Tokyo, leather jacket, cool thing. 
you have wear leather, with a leather jacket, I feel like kind of stronger, uh, cooler. I don't know. This is something then. Maybe that's designed that way. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying that this is only the solution. No. This relates to the theme of what? Jesus is the exactly the exact representation of God. He's the exact image of his father, our father. And Colossians chapter 1 talks about this. But again, how? What does that mean? What does that mean to wear Jesus' clothes? It means to wear Jesus' righteousness. He is the second Adam. He's a better Adam, perfect Adam. He never disobeyed. He never uh, questioned or doubted his father. But what happened to him? He got stripped naked, beaten, shamed. He he's the only one probably had every right to complain to God saying it wasn't. It, this is not my sin. Right? It was my younger brothers. <laughs> he could say, but he didn't say. He, was, he kept silent. Why? So that he can give his righteousness and cover us. Ezekiel describes this way. God, uh, Ezekiel 16.8 is there. I think scripture uh, is there. I didn't use it last time, but it says this. When I passed by you again, I saw you. Behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. So here's the, in Jesus, we can go back to this state of fully known, first of all. Why? Because Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Cross basically says, I know about your sin. And this is how you're going to end up if you live like this. I know everything about you. But still, I died, I died for you. This being known and being loved comes at the same time in Jesus. And when we have that kind of love in our life, nothing will shake us. Right? Yes, if we lose some of the friends or some, if we are criticized, it's sad. But it doesn't have to give you a depression or burnout. Just because you lost a job, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. It is, it is sad. But it's not the end of everything. Because we know that we are loved completely. Lastly, I find this is interesting. Luke 24, there's a story. There's two disciples walking after the cross. They didn't understand what happened. But Jesus comes alongside and again asks questions. Hey guys, what are you talking about? Of course he knew what they were talking about. What are they doing? He's again trying to counsel, right? And he explains all the scripture that it was all about him. From the what? From the beginning of the Old Testament to Genesis to all the prophets and the Psalms and everything. He points out, it's about me. Right? That's what I did, right? From Genesis and connected. And then what happened? They ate, and their eyes were opened. I think this is a reverse version of what happened to Adam and Eve. Jesus is the one who opens our eyes back to seeing God. God is trustworthy. God can be trusted. If I throw my life to him, I'll be happy. 
I'll be complete. I'll be confident. I don't feel shame anymore. I know what I have to live for. Don't we have to go back? Don't we want to go back to that kind of state? Aren't we sick of our insecurity, comparison, hiding? Let's go back today again through the gospel, through Jesus. Let's go back. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, in a sense, it's a painful truth. But you are honest enough to point out what's wrong with us. So, Lord, help us, Lord. Even as a Christian, we often forget that you love us, that forget that we, we, we can't trust you in everything. So, Lord, help us, Lord. Every time we feel insecure about ourselves, every time we doubt what you are doing, Lord, help us to look to your Son, the perfect image of the Father, truthful but loving. Lord, melt our hearts once again, Lord. And let us hear, as I needed here, as you said to your son Jesus, you are my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. Lord, help us to go back to the roots and live out of that love and security, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.